right. Welcome to another episode of the Speech Entropy Podcast today with Quinn Sander. Hi, Quinn. How's it going? I'm well. How are you doing? Very well. Very good. Let's jump into things. Um, we always start the same way, obviously. Uh, we'd like to get to know who's it that we're talking to. So, you know, first question of today, who's Quinn? Where are you coming from? You know, what is it that you're doing today? So my name is Quinn Sandler. I am born and raised in Vancouver, Canada. That's where our company is based out of. Um, I'm 38. I'm a father of two amazing boys. And I'm also the founder and CEO of Plantiga. Um, Plantiga, at our core, we identify actually as a data science company more than anything that is reimagining the consumer health experience through the lens of movement. What that just means is we've developed a sensor which measures a human being's biomechanics. So these sensors slot into insoles in the shoe and we measure how somebody walks, runs, jumps, their ability to change direction, really how they move about in life and in sport um, with medical grade accuracy. And then on top of that, we drive a lot of analytics, action and recommendations based on the data that we get, whether that's for recovery or performance or athletic longevity. Right. Sounds sounds exciting. I mean, that's why that's why you're on the show. Uh, and we're going to get into into more detail, obviously, uh, in a bit. But, you know, tell me about your background, man. Where, where, like where what, what, what did you study? What, what did you do before before being an entrepreneur? You know, what, what was kind of the story before that? So I've always been as far back as I can remember entrepreneurial. I actually in my office just over in the other room, I have a sign that I made when I was 11 years old that said, um, uh, accountable, uh, 11 year old available for errands and house chores. So from my earliest age, I was trying to hustle and I was trying to, uh, to get work. So I've always been entrepreneurial. I started working for myself when I was 19. I've had four other startups, um, before Plantiga. I did a bunch of graphic design, branding and identity and websites, I had a live events production company where we did a lot of production for Live Nation and from some other um, festivals. I did a bunch of advertising work for Toyota and Volkswagen and things like that. Um, so quite varied, uh, but how Plantiga came to be is I actually founded this company with my father, whose name was Norman McKay. My dad had a background in biomechanics and product design. And my dad had worked a lot in gate labs. So always had this understanding that how we move is one of the best lenses into human health. Whether you have a neurodegenerative disease like Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or orthopedic rehab or other diseases or aging, measuring how you move is so valuable for assessing, diagnosing, monitoring, optimizing. And yet very few people have access to this data because you have to go into a gate lab in a university or into a hospital or high performance teams have access, but you, me, regular folks don't have access to this. So the thesis was always this democratization of this data, knowing that it would facilitate literally different industries. Um, and the sad part of that story is my dad got very sick with prostate cancer and passed away um, five years ago now. So right when Plantiga was raising our pre-seed round, we just got our first contract with the Seattle Mariners, which is a major league baseball team. My dad got very sick and died. So this company is definitely 
you know, his legacy. He's on all of our intellectual properties on all of our patents. Um, so that's kind of how I not fell into Plantiga, but it was really my dad's thesis. I had been in lots of other companies and startups and had always worked for myself and thought that my dad was onto something. And then, you know, through the last four or five years, I basically can talk sports science with the best sports scientists in the world. And we interact with lots of the best teams and militaries in the world. So I definitely can kind of talk the talk now, but that's how I came to be. And that's how I came to kind of fall into Plantiga. Yeah, man, I, 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 read your, I read your post the other day on LinkedIn about your dad. Uh, that, was, that was quite touching. So that's, that's such, a, such a beautiful story, ultimately. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's no longer sad. You know, death is the worst thing in the world. But when you kind of get past the sad bit, you just remember all of the good things and all of the, you know, connections you had. And I'm very thankful that I got to found Plantiga with my dad and we built early prototypes together. I'm more grateful than anything. I'm more grateful than sad. Yeah, yeah, but like also like, you know, taking this to the company then as well. I mean, the the emotional attachment and like the passion you have for this then, you know, probably uncomparable to, to anything, right? Because you just have this this close connection to it, right? 100%. And in fact, we do a lot of AI. So we've named our AI Norman. So Norman is our digital movement coach. So. Norman is on the tip of everyone's tongue. Norman is still doing data analysis. Norman is still very much a part of our fabric as a company, which I love. Plus, it's a good name for an AI as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. All right, so you know, let, let's talk about let's talk about uh, early days. You know, you said first prototypes you were building to that. Um, so obviously, you know, you said your dad was, you had the experience, had the background, you know, coming into this. Let's talk about timing, you know, um, why, why was, why did you start the company at the, at the time when, you know, when it was, so how many years is that ago now? So me and my dad first started working on this over a decade ago, but oh. we had no employees. It was just a side project. We were building prototypes, got grants from the Canadian government. It was only about four and a half years ago, five years ago, did we hire our first employee. So there's two phases. We're basically four to five years old, but me and my dad initially, when we incorporated, was over a decade ago when we started working on this, you know, a day a week or something like that. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've, I've come across, obviously, um, also from a, from a research perspective, I've come across, you know, a couple of papers as well that are, that are doing this. So what you mentioned, you know, like, okay, so how can we, how can we, um, you know, identify, identify pre-disease kind of, you know, things such as Parkinson as well from, from, from movement, right, from, from looking at gait data. And, and it's very interesting. So, Let's talk about, you know, I mean, you guys are obviously, you know, on a run, you're pretty successful. Uh, you just mentioned of like who, who you are working with. Um, you know, let's, let's talk about, about um, the, the fundraising process. So, um, you know, when you, you, when you were raising your first, uh, first round, what was, what was kind of like the, uh, the reaction you got when, when you went to VCs and stuff? Um, so it's always been interesting. So we've done four, you've done four financing rounds and every round is challenging in its own way. So when we did our first round, um, people were just unaware that this was even a problem. You know, do people care about gate data? 
is it even valuable? Do people want a wearable that can measure the way that they walk or they run? Which to me is obvious, but to a lot of venture capitalists, it isn't. So fundraising has always been a little bit challenging, although we've done several rounds. It's been about finding investors which understand the space of digital health and the data set that we're unlocking. So if anything I've learned in the fundraising process is it's really about finding thesis-driven investors around the future of human health and performance that know that the datafication of a human, you know, we're going to measure our sleep and our heart rate and our glucose and our gut biome and our blood yeah. and our blood oxygen. And why won't we measure our gait? Again, like why won't you do it? So it's been good, but it's really taught me that you have to find thesis-driven investors is the simplest way to say it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you know, you, you mentioned you mentioned uh, you know the customers or let's say you know the type of people that you're working with. So and in, in that that I guess is is the obvious kind of like starting point, right? So like uh, athletes, maybe the military as well, which you said. So. Um, let's let's talk about let's let's talk about that so that, that initial the, the initial customers or the first customers that you got right so what was the kind of feedback um how how did that basically play as well into kind of you know taking that and and, and adjusting product etc yeah so we started so let me back up here the problem that we always understood is 1.7 billion people on the planet suffer from some musculoskeletal issue so what that just means is that something is wrong with their bones, muscles, tendons, ligaments, or soft tissues, right? And all of that stuff works together to hold your body weight and to allow you to move. Three main reasons are the causes for musculoskeletal disorders. One is injuries, one is disease, and one is aging. And that affects literally almost a third of the human planet. It's crazy. So what we decided was let's start in a world where injuries are something that are of critical importance and that is in high performance sport. So anything in elite sport, injuries are the single greatest reason why teams lose. It's called player availability. Let's say it's soccer or, or football, where you're from, um, or American football or hockey or literally keeping players healthy is the single greatest thing you can do to win. So what we did is we started focusing in high performance sport where we knew there was this critical need for getting data on human beings to drive health and drive performance. So we started in Major League Baseball. We started in the NBA. Through our network, we got clients in the NFL and Major League Soccer, NCAA programs. And we spent the last three years working with literally the best teams in the world collecting on the best athletes in the world, where we were baselining, helping them return to play, building injury resilience or injury prevention. And we really kind of established ourselves in this elite kind of top of the pyramid. Mm -hmm. But the goal has always been to move downstream right. to your general health consumer, someone that might have arthritis in their knee or my mom or your mom or your dad. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of where we started. But that goal is to build products and services for that 1.7 billion people on the planet who literally suffer in pain with movement, where movement and the lack of movement is a big deal in their lives. That's always been the focus. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that absolutely makes sense, right? Because kind of like 
as an entry point, right? Athletes or sports or teams in general, right? As, as you just described, right? So injury is, uh, is, is, is such a critical, such a critical aspect. And so if you, if you can kind of bring up a product, you know, that can help them to improve this, right? Or to manage it or to get new insights, you know, then that, that ultimately is obviously kind of welcomed, right? And at the same time, it gives you, it gives you, first of all, you know, customers. And second of all, it gives you time to develop product, right? Because you collect data, obviously, right? And that gives you then ultimately the leverage to further develop the product and then and enter kind of scale, right? Learn from things, build new algorithms, et cetera. That's literally the playbook that we've done. So just to reiterate that, we, over the last three and a half years or four years, we've built a, we've built a database of almost 4,000 humans that we've collected on. We arguably have the largest data set in the world of tagged and labeled motion capture data from an IMU, which is the sensor that we use embedded in the arch of an insole. I can't think of another group in the world that has as big of a database as us. So that's allowed us to develop algorithms, do a bunch of AI and data science to establish healthy norms. We kind of know what healthy looks like in a running population as an example, between the ages of 17 and 60. This is extremely valuable data and insights. And yes, the focus on kind of high performance sport, sport medicine clinics, things like that has allowed us to really hone what the product is, what the insights are and really collect a bunch of data. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let's, let's, let's talk from a, from a um, let's say business model perspective. How, how does that, uh, you know, how was it or like, how's it now or, and will it kind of like change um, once you go and scale in terms of like, you know, getting product into, let's say, you know, the average Joe basically, versus for example, now, okay, having athlete, you know, athletes kind of like use the products, how, how does that um, differ in terms of, you know, you guys making money or charging? Yeah, so we actually, it's good timing. Just last week, we just last week, we launched a membership for individuals. So if you go to our website now, you can buy our hardware for $2.99 and you can subscribe for 30 bucks a month. And we actually give you a movement coach that will work with you via the app to help you optimize or work on an injury or things like that. So we've actually just started our push into every day. When I say athlete, you don't have to be an actual athlete. It could be someone that just cares about their health or their performance and they could be young, they could be old, but we've now opened up that, that channel to be able to start working with individuals. And I think this is where we turn into a billion dollar company. Because let's be honest, how many NBA teams are in there? We're in six of them. There's only 30 of them, right? We're in a handful of NFL teams. There's only 30 or 32 of them. I don't know the exact number. So there's just not many pro teams in the world. Even if you'd account premiership and pro teams in Germany and all over Europe, there's probably like a few hundred maybe, right? Yeah. That pales in comparison to the hundreds of millions of people all over the world that would gain value and benefit from our products. So I think as we shift more towards this consumer angle, our total addressable market, as they say, or our TAM um, just explodes wide open. And, you know, admittedly, we are focused on the athletically inclined individual 
we know that we do well with people that run marathons or triathlons or they're competitive, they're cycling, running races, they're dealing injuries, they're dealing with an arthritic hip or knee, but they're, you know, 40, 50, 60, 20. We know that that's our persona right now. Mm -hmm. But I think over the next couple of years, we're going to start picking up kind of a peripheral of individuals that might not be super athletic, but might be more just inclined on the health and wellness angle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, what, what is interesting to me is um, how does, how does on the, let's say, human capital side, right? So obviously you said like, okay, you know, I personally talk to best sports scientists in the world, et cetera. How does that play basically into the setup of the team, right? Because, you know, looking at physiological data, right? You, you need to, you need to, you know, have the expertise in order to bring interpretation to it, right? In order to really understand like, okay, you know, what does that mean? If I pair that together with this, you know, what is the kind of like the conclusion of that, et cetera? Like how, how has that kind of like played into the role as well? You know, after kind of the passing of your dad, basically, you know, keeping or, you know, because obviously you lost a huge part of the, you know, let's say the intellectual um, brain, basically, you know, the brains behind the operation. How did you kind of like, you know, match that up? That's a very thoughtful question, dude. Uh, I appreciate that question. So when my dad passed away, there was a massive hole in the kind of intellectual brain trust of Plantiga. Where that was filled was twofold. My dad had a colleague where we both did named Dr. Matt Jordan. Dr. Matt Jordan is the director at the Canadian Sport Institute, works with all of the Olympic teams. He's a sports scientist. He's a researcher, a professor, a coach of coaches. Matt really stepped up and took this initial vision of my dad and has really built out the science and the framework for how we analyze and interpret human biomechanics. Coupled with that, we added a CTO three years ago named Sean Ross Ross, who came from Tableau and Anaconda, so a big background in data science and machine learning and AI. Between Matt and Sean, those two really built out the science, the deep science, the deep tech that we've been able to build and has really taken what we have had and elevated uh, the game there. So that's how we've done it. And quite frankly, you know, your first question there was, how do you interpret this data? So right now, what we do is everybody that comes into our program gets connected up with a movement coach, which right now we employ them. So they have members and a movement coach could be a sports scientist, a master's of exercise physiology, a doctor of human kinetics. So they are quite elite and they work with our athletes how we're going to scale that, though, is we're probably going to build a marketplace where other practitioners can get certified using our technology, understanding how we analyze, interpret, and break down walking, running, jumping, changing direction, et cetera, and then can develop programs and insights based on that. So we are actually building the course material right now of how like, the playbook of how we analyze human movement so we can teach it to other practitioners. Because quite frankly, that's kind of the value that we've built is we just don't measure asymmetries in ground contact time or limb speed or you know peak vertical acceleration at heel strike. We actually know what that means, what part of the body is weak because of that and then what to do. Mm -hmm. So that's how we're thinking about it. Um, but to your first bit, Matt 
you know, Dr. Matt Jordan has just been phenomenal, plays such a critical role uh, in our company. Yeah, so that is actually an interesting um, fact so that you just mentioned in terms of, okay, having kind of coaches, you know, in the background that, okay, as of right now, you have X number of coaches, you know, um, a coach has, you know, Y number of athletes that he's responsible for that he's coaching. Yep, so, 40 or 50 right now. That, that's a lot, isn't yeah. it? It is a lot, yeah. They work with them for about between, you know, one to three hours a month is what a coach okay. will spend per member. Okay, yeah. So that's, that's going, to be, going to be interesting, right? So especially if you go into scale, right? Um, so you're saying, okay, building a marketplace because, you know, being a, being a, being a let's say, um, a pro in terms of like, some sort of physiological, you know, area or, or aspect or whatever is one thing, but like working with data is the other other thing, right? So um, that that is a, that requires a different skill set, right? So it's a combination of these two. So or whether or uh, do you, or is that part basically going to be provided by 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 you guys? So kind of like automated, basically. Yeah. So I think what we're doing with Norman.ai is we are building the engine that will establish a baseline for a mm -hmm. human being and it will drive a lot of the insights and recommendations on what to do. Yeah. That is gonna be our core product. That's gonna be self-serve. There's no gonna be real coach there. That's gonna be, we think, for the majority of users that we have. Yeah. That said, a lot of our members get so much value from interacting with the coach via our platform where our data becomes the language from which they can have a discussion with their coach. That's where we think the marketplace grows is because the core product, vast majority of people are going to get real value from there. They're going to use it. They're going to just like whoop or it's going to look at my readiness, my movement patterns. It's going to flag me when something is outside of my normal bandwidth. Very valuable. But we cannot or we fully understand that we cannot underestimate the value of a coach. So if you can think about what we're building and why we think a marketplace is a good way to grow is there are practitioners that focus on ACL rehabs. There's a lot of them in Ireland. There's a lot of them in Australia. But if you join Plantiga, they could use our technology to connect that practitioner to a person that they're working with in Germany or France or mm -hmm. anywhere through objective measures, how they walk, how they run, and how they jump. So... That's how we feel this will play out here in the next couple of years because we're, we can't scale coaching. Like we can't go like right. we, we have five and I can't go and hire a hundred coaches or 200 exactly. coaches. That just doesn't make sense. But I can be the glue that connects coaches with their population, with their clients, with their patients. Yeah, absolutely. So let, let's talk about the, the hardware product. Um, yeah. that, that's a, that's, uh, that's also obviously, you know, the, the key ingredient here. Um, how, like, do you, do you guys, where do you guys produce a product? Like, do you, do you develop the hardware um, or produce the hardware in, in Canada or like, because why I'm asking this question, you know, I mean, crazy times, crazy logistics, crazy Corona strikes, etc. you know, hardware is a problem. Resources is a problem. Everything is a problem, man. So, um, you're like, telling me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, good question. You have lots of good questions. Dude. So we manufacture the hard here, the hardware here in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. It's just assembled across the hall from where I am sitting in our conference room. We do not manufacture in China or Shenzhen. Yeah. We actually assemble outside of Vancouver. There's a city called Richmond. It's in British Columbia. We get the electronics produced there and we do the final assembly. We load the firmware, the quality assurance, the testing before we ship it out the door. We design and manufacture it all ourselves. We have hardware engineers. We rely on some external firms to support and what they call DFM, which means design for manufacture. Uh, but the vast majority of it's done in-house. Mm-hmm. What we did last year is we saw the writing on the wall in terms of the chip shortage that was going to plague the world and still does to this day. So about 10 months ago, we went back to the drawing board and we redesigned our hardware with readily available components. So things that were much easier to find because we literally had chips in our last hardware that you can't find in the world right now. They're done. So we use this thing for storage called the NOR chip, just doesn't exist anymore. Uh, Toyota has buying up all of them in, in the world. So knowing that was coming, we changed course, developed new hardware. In fact, we have new hardware coming out in about one to two months from now, four to eight weeks. Um, so we feel very confident that we've mitigated our risk there, mm-hmm. that we produce it ourselves. We've built it with readily available components. There is obviously risk in general with, you know, making sure you have access to the hardware components you need. But we feel like we've done a really good job to support that and to support our growth over the next couple of years. Yeah, interesting, man. That, 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 that's obviously a smart decision because uh, especially with chips, you know, good that you mentioned that. I mean, it's, it's crazy, right? As, as, if you look at the price increase, um, it's, it's insane. <laughs> it's insane, man. Yeah, like there, yeah, there was just literally parts of our current hardware that you cannot buy in the world anymore. Yeah. Had we not done that, we just would have run out of hardware. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's crazy. Um, so uh, obviously, you know, being in the business yourself, um, you obviously are quite aware of, you know, what 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 other players out there, you know. Um, not just like direct competition, but I mean, it's just in general, like with the, um, you know, the entire wearable industry, right? You, you mentioned like, okay, you know, we can track this, this, and this. And um, <clears throat> let's talk about wearables in general, man. So how do you, what's your, what's your take on the market right now? What's your, what's your kind of like observations, you know, thoughts that you have? Where do you see things moving, um, you know, in terms of how they are right now? Um, and where do you see like additional opportunity? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I think we're very early on in the wearable game. I think I saw a stat last year in 2019 or 2020, 400 and some odd million devices were shipped. 97.8% or something like that were on the wrist or in the ear. So the vast majority of wearables are just on the wrist, the vast majority on the hand now. I think they're good. I think lots of them are not really that accurate. So, you know, you have to put that in its own bucket. Um, I think the reason that most wearable companies have failed or struggled in the last five years is people don't know what to do with the data, honestly. Like, what do I do? Who cares? Like, what do I do with the data? So I have 
a recovery or a strain score and loop. And I'm not trying to put down these products because they've done extremely well. But I'm just saying, when it comes to me as a consumer, I don't really care about the data. I care about what do I do? Okay, I had a bad sleep. Who cares? What do I do to get better sleep? So this is where we come in with the coaching component is I am so confident that the future of wearables is just not data. It's what the fuck does it mean, right? So I don't need like, if so we measure asymmetries a bunch, we measure that your left limb could move different than your right limb and it looks really weak and it looks like your knee is weak. Okay, cool, who cares? Tell me what to do to fix it. Tell me the exercises, the stretches. Do I need to you know, change the way that I walk? Do I need new shoes? Do I need to not run on cement? Like, give me the actual tangible action that I need to do. Yeah. That's where I think the future of wearables are going is less in the data and more in the action and the application. Because yeah. that's where I think, again, this industry has struggled so far is just people really buy a Whoop or an Aura, and they've been successful, but Whoop, like Aura sold a million rings. Well, there's like, what, seven and a half billion people in the world? Like yeah. in the grand scheme of things, it's also not a lot. So, you know, you just have to tell people what to do. I, yeah. There's actually a company I know on Aura, it's called Crescent Health, but they do coaching based on Aura and Whoop sleep data, right? Yeah. Very, very valuable. Because they tell people, okay, I'm sleeping poorly. Now, what do I do about it, right? So I'm, I'm, again, a firm believer that that's what the future is going to hold. And then also, I think we're going to move away from watches. I, I, I think it's going to be, and this is where we come in, like we make an insole right now. In the next three years, that's going to be embedded in shoes, right? No one's going to think about, you know, charging it or yeah, I'm going to take my shoes off and put them on a smart mat and it's going to charge. It's going to be embedded in my clothing. It's going to kind of disappear into something like I feel like real watches are going to come back into play. I'm serious. I feel like people are going to go less on the smartwatch, more back to like real things. Mm -hmm. And then the wearables are going to kind of be become unobtrusive, you know, embedded in things, in yeah. my clothing, in my shoes. Um, right. That's where I think the world's going to go. That's a lot of smart things. Um, let's, let's kind of unravel them. Um, I mean, ultimately, it comes down to how are people actually going to make money and how is, are things actually going to be financed? So I'm absolutely uh, with you on this, on, 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 you know, this kind of criticism of like, hey, so I have a, a bunch of, you know, fucking variables, but um, what about, you know, what about the interpretation of, of, of the data, right? Um, I think that's where, you know, all of these variable companies are kind of backing out, right? It's because... Um, and because you know, kind of placing them into into this kind of category of consumer consumer products, right? Um, and not kind of medical devices, right? Because who is who's going to take responsibility, right? Right now, there's there's also this big criticism about kind of like okay, the false negatives, you know, that are being that are being pushed towards customers, you know, that where people get like anxiety from like push notifications that they get from the variables and stuff. Because ultimately, you're not supposed to see that, right? No. What the fuck are you going to do with this information? Totally. <laughs> totally. So then the question comes in, okay, if we have coaches, so let's say Aura, right? Or what are the business models, right? If we look at Whoop or Aura, you're moving towards subscription. So you have a device and then you subscribe to this. Okay, but like, if I need, okay, I have the device, I'm paying for the device, but then I need to pay additionally a coach that is kind of giving me, you know, some sort of interpretation. 
right, to, to, to this data. Is that the add-on? That doesn't seem to work because, and, and then you have the healthcare system, like how do I, like how do I place this together, right? It doesn't seem to be like a logical fit, you know? And these things, do you, do you got where, where I want to I do, this? I do. I think it's going to be nuanced. I, I think it's, you're kind of between a rock and a hard place as a consumer. I buy a wearable. I don't know what to do with the data. I throw it in my bed stand. I never use it again. Or I buy a wearable and I dig in a little bit more and I get interpretation and a little bit of coaching. And then I actually can change my behavior and extract value from it. So I feel like what's going to happen is it's not like people ask about playing TV, like who's our competition? Our competition is more the strength coach, the physical therapist, the clinic than it is another wearable because really it's the, the wearables, the glue that connects those, mm -hmm. those folks together. So I think that will be the case more. I think you're going to have like aura. I think you're going to have more clinics that will say, Hey, look, you as my patient should use aura and I'll monitor you from afar with that data. I think that's more where it goes. I think the, just getting a wearable for the sake of it being cool and wanting to check my data. I don't know how sustainable that is yeah. in the long term. Yeah, because the business, so I mean, ultimately, so I think you need to differentiate between Apple products and the rest because Apple products are just, you know, they're selling because they're Apple products, right? Let, let's, let's, I have let's, an Apple watch. It's the only wearable I, I, I actually have. Like, I like <laughs> it. Other than that, I don't really, like, I've tried or I've tried group. I just... I got to the end of it and I just don't really, I don't need something to tell me I had a bad sleep, you know? Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's distinguish between that. And then you have like, you know, all the other variables, the auras, et cetera, and, and like all these things that pop up. Who are the people that are buying these things? Those are special people, man. Those are not just like, those are people that geek out on this stuff, okay? This is not your average kind of like 27 year old person that you know likes to drink a beer or two on, on the weekend or more you know so the question is so and then when you get into this health perspective of like okay so it's not just about you know some 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 you know niche group of biohackers that that geek out on this stuff but you eventually want to like you want to you know do something for for healthcare right for health in general yep. you need yep. to scale that into you need to scale it into the mass right and then it's, it becomes to, okay, so do, do I serve the ones that are already sick, right? So, um, or do I go into prevention, right? So where I, where I kind of like change lifestyles, for example, right? Uh, with, with my variables. But then it's like, okay. So, so I think the latter. Yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I think the, for us, it's going into the prevention a little bit is more of the place to go. You also have to bet on where society is going. So right now, humans don't really do a good job at preventing disease, right? We respond to things. We don't really prevent things. Humans are the worst for that. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll become diabetic and then I'll change my diet. You know, exactly. we don't really change the diet before we become diabetic. Yeah. I think that's going to change a little bit. I don't know how quickly, but I think we're going to turn into more of a proactive society. I think personalized healthcare is going to be a big theme in the next decade. You know, it's a Warren Buffett quote. We underestimate what can be, so we overestimate what can be done in a year and we underestimate what can be done in 10 years. You know, like 10 years, this world's going to look so different than it looks today. Um, yeah, 
I have a different I have a different quote from you for you, but that okay, I'm I'm not sure whether that's hundred percent, but it's like some something like that. You know, Jeff Bezos says like, okay, don't try to understand what's going to be different in ten years, but try to understand what's going to stay the same in ten years. <laughs> Great quote. I don't think I've heard that. That's a fantastic quote. <laughs> exactly, right? That's the trick. But I think to your point though, I don't think anybody knows, right? I don't think, you know, so there's a way to look at a company. You have technology, then you build a product around the technology, then you actually have to build a distribution channel and a business model around that technology. And I think that's the challenge is, is how do you make money with these things, exactly. right? So I sell to NBA teams and major league baseball teams. Dude, admittedly, they don't pay a lot. Like, sure, they're cool brands, but you're not going to build a venture scalable company exactly. selling to professional teams. You know, yeah. it might be 20,000 here and 25,000 there and 15,000 here and 30,000. It's just not a lot of money. Yeah. Whereas in, you have to try to unlock the consumer. Where I think we come in with Plantiga, though, is I have a business mentor that always says, you want to be building a cancer drug and not a vitamin. Okay. Do you know what that means? Like a lot of wearables are a vitamin. Like I, I can take it. A cancer drug is it's not, I can, I need, I need to have it or I'm going to die. So for us, that's why we focus on musculoskeletals. A lot of people that come and work with us, they can't move or they can't run without pain. They can't move properly. Yeah. And what we come in is we come in through the angle of supporting them in being able yeah. to run without pain, move without pain. So you have to be healthy to perform. So even when people come to us and say, hey, I want to run a marathon, what they really mean is I want to train and run a marathon without getting injured again. Right? Yeah, exactly. So I feel like yeah, that's going to be our perspective. And do I know how that plays out? Absolutely not. Do I feel like we're on to something here where there's a little bit of a warm door a hundred percent yeah yeah so see that's a safe bet so like that's that's your question of like okay so what's what's going to stay the same right what's going to stay the same is that people are there's always going to be sick people there's always going to be people that have some sort of problems okay and that's what you, you put it perfectly right people are people are reactive man like people are the worst like that that's that's the whole problem with lifestyle related diseases right is because you can live two three decades recklessly right and then like kind of some like end of end of the 40s mid mid end of 40s like the first shit is like coming in you know and yep. then and then people are like okay i need to change everything well guess what <laughs> literally too late it didn't give like the last 20 30 years about anything right lift and like ate whatever you wanted you know kind of lived recklessly on, on a lifestyle basis so you pay the price later you don't pay you don't pay now right you don't pay when you're young you pay later and that's the problem about it yeah and that's where we come in again we're with plenty because we capture folks who are dealing with some musculoskeletal pain and then we get them healthy they have an aha moment they've used plantiga we yeah. corrected their knee pain now they want to use us for prevention so we exactly. kind of capture people in, yeah. in, in that moment. But you're completely right. I don't know if you're going to change human instinct where some, you know, I say kid, I'm 38, somebody that's 25 years old, you're going to convince them that they should use this to stave off arthritis in their 50s. You know, yeah. that just does not compute for a 25-year-old kid. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. And so that, that's why I think, you know, in, in thinking about use cases, you know, or domains of health, right? So I think for, for you guys, that's, you know, that's kind of like the advantage, I would say, right? Because 
for let's let's say let's let's take nutrition for example right i mean if, if you if you know put shit into your body for for decades right you cannot change that with like a quick diet change within a week or so right or like having a personalized meal delivered to your door you know and then everything's going to be fine for you know within a week or so it's true my dad would say this a bunch you don't understand the value of movement until it's taken away from you yeah you know, like when you like cut your finger and you're like, wow, I never really knew how much I touched things with my finger, right? And so there's a cut there. You're like, wow, it hurts yeah, to do yeah, everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you don't really know something or the value of it until it's taken away from you. So this is why we focus, like we, we really think that we could become the standard of care for any lower body musculoskeletal. You have a hip replacement, an ACL, an MCL an ankle, hamstrings, Achilles tendinopathies, back problems. This is where Plantica comes in. We get you better and then we build your strength, build your performance and stave off it coming back again. That's kind of the flow that we feel. And to Jeff Bezos' quote, that's going to be the same in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and 40 years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so, so. Y- to, to cut you off here, sorry for that, but you know what I was thinking about as well, What don't you don't you kind of like want to play the long or harder game of like healthcare system for kind of like being like the reimbursement of things because i can imagine that you know um this can be a big one yeah so we are starting that process now so in north america specifically in the us which is the largest market for this in order to get coverage by an insurer or a provider you need an efficacy study that proves basically like a clinical trial that proves that group A that used Plantiga had better outcomes, reduced injury rates than group B that didn't use Plantiga. So we're starting a study in September of this year with UBC to start just that same study. Because after about a year and a half, we'll collect data for a year, that peer reviewed research that's published is what you take to an insurer who then will cover Plantiga. So we fully will be moving in there and the clinical, the medical grade device, the FDA approval, your class three, that's something that we need to think long and hard on of how we want to transition there. But I do think that will be kind of our five-year plan is to move into the medical device world where then we literally become the standard of care. You have a hip replacement, you have an ankle surgery, a knee surgery, you are literally prescribed Plantiga to take home and wear throughout the entire rehab and then continue on that's where whether we do it or not someone is going to make yeah some biomechanical monitoring solution that does exactly that yeah yeah so this is like a founder of like a also like a health uh, health health tech company in london uh, told me this as well um so uh, the company is unicorn now and and he said you know that that was kind of like their competitive advantage ultimately you know they started off, there was like a bunch of companies as well that popped up, you know, kind of like doing the same thing. And this process is hard, right? This takes time, it's pain in the ass, it's expensive, etc. But because they did it, that's why they stuck around, you know, that's why that's why they went all the way. And that's why they're a uniform right now. Yeah, so I would say that we're going to do the same thing. It also is this balance because we need to build a business now. We need to build our membership now. Yeah. But that's where I think we take this in the next three to five years. Like that's what our, you know, series 
you know, might be what's in our series A financing or B is to literally start that process yeah. of becoming a medical grade FDA approved device. Yeah, man. That's, that's dope. Um, hey, we're almost, uh, almost running out of time. Uh, this is great. It was a great discussion. You know, let, let, kind of like, uh, let's deviate for a last question here. Um, you, you, you seem like a curious mind. Uh, what, what else, what else are you looking at? What else besides, uh, you know, building, building the company, what else are you kind of, you know, looking from the lens or perspective as an entrepreneur in terms of like, you know, trends, areas, etc. So I think it's adjacent to what we do, but I think this concept of personalized healthcare that is brought to the home is an area that I'm very, very fascinated by. And that kind of bleeds into another topic that's close to that, which is aging in place or how we care for the elderly. Mm. So I think there is a lot of innovation that is going to come around helping people live longer at home, helping people live healthier at home, supporting the older adult in a number of different issues that they have. I think it's an area that there hasn't really been a lot of innovation. Now there's a lot of innovation actually that's happening, but it's just the tip of the iceberg. So I think this concept of technology around the older adult is something that I'm fascinated by, especially as my mom is 75 now, and obviously my dad passed away and was sick, but just observing how people that are in their older, like they don't really get a lot of innovation, not them, but not really minds or companies are supporting them. I think, you know, like the baby boomer population right now is the largest population in the world and it's going to continue to grow over the next five to 10 years. So yeah. I think that is a big area that I'm fascinated. If I was an investor, I would be looking at companies and innovations in that area. And then adjacent to that is kind of where we is just this personalized health you know, proactive health where people are doing testing at home and monitoring at home and blood sampling at home. I feel like that world is just kind of where we as a species are going. And I find it kind of very passionate about, about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's a bunch of gold here. Um, so especially, so what you said with the old people, 100% with you. Um, I mean, we just have big boomer generation, right? The ones before that. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a huge, huge discussion around that right when, when when they are going to be retiring you know everything that that involves that the wealth generate uh, uh the, the wealth that is going to be transferred etc all that stuff right but the same thing which you said right and i think everybody can kind of like observe that in the western world so um you know when i when i lived in canada i saw that as well i mean obviously in that place where i live uh that's uh obviously a big deal because it was like a lot of people is that like a bunch of you know elderly uh, care houses have been built throughout the last years you can s literally see that right so like on yeah. the real estate side they, they like everybody's like you know realize that investments have been made but so like on the tech side which you said right so on, on the device side on, on helping people like um you know live uh, live there or, or kind of like support them you know there's there's a, I think as well, like a super- And big. just quickly, that's a really good point. We know through research that old age care homes are not effective. It's no. far better for someone to age in place in their home, 
except we put a lot of people in old age care homes. I think that strategy is driven by developers, you said real estate, that want to build buildings. I actually don't think that that's the best method. And we know through research and a lot of studies that that's just not the case. So I think, again, there's innovation around, you know, I watched a documentary that was talking about a place, I think it was in Switzerland, that had an old age care home kind of in a big tower, but it was also with like young families and they combined the two together. So there's just a lot of innovation there. And I think that, yeah, like I, I don't know if building old age care homes is the I don't think that's the best use of our time. I think we need to figure out ways of allowing people to age in their homes, which is ultimately what somebody wants. People do not want to go into old age care homes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hey, this was great. Uh, Quinn, thanks, thanks for being the show, man. Uh, it was a great discussion. And, um, you know, let's, let's stay in touch. Appreciate it, Jonathan. Thank you for your time and appreciate you having me on.